And our, so our scripture passage tonight is the prologue of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, 10 through 11, 14 and 16. I know they're stitched together, but they're one really cool hymn. Uh, so I'm going to read this passage, so listen for the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. And then the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Would you please pray with me? Holy God, uh, I am just so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. I'm so thankful to be in community with everyone in this room tonight. And may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth bring us closer to you this evening. Amen. So whenever I read this passage, it fascinates me. It's full of these amazing theological and philosophical ideas. It dances between several grandiose ideas of the universe. It is a passage where my mind takes flight and wanders, allows me to contemplate and think. It is the practice of grappling with these kinds of ideas that helps me think about the world and God in new ways. And can you remember a time when an idea filled your imagination? When it stuck with you and began to make everything new around you? I remember how my world changed when I first took seriously the idea that God is love. It started to change how I understood God and how I understood love between people, pushing me to consider God in ways I never thought of before. And ideas like that spark wonder in me, lead me to ask better questions. And what's truly exciting is knowing that I am not the first to think of any of these things. I'm not the first one to even ask any of these questions. There is a long line of people that have wondered about the universe and God. And in our passage today, we find our gospel writer participating in this tradition. We see them contemplating different theological and philosophical ideas to make sense of Christ. And the author's wonder and imagination becomes most apparent in the use of the word well, it's, it's words, the word words. It's confusing because we bump up against this tricky nature of translating Greek to English because word is not in reference to the pieces of language that we use to write and talk. Rather, word is a literal translation of a Greek word called logos or logos. And what is this logos? Why is the gospel writer using it and what's important about it? Well, we must remember that our Gospels are not written in a vacuum. They don't just pop into existence. They are grounded in the worlds and ideas of their authors. And in order for us to see how this Logos refers to Christ, we too must dive back into the world of this Gospel. Because you see, the Logos has a rich history in Greek philosophy. 
For the Greeks, the logos referred to reason being the principle that orders the universe. And they meant reason not in like, I need a better reason than that to get out of my pajamas. No, they're, they're using reason in the sense of logic or the power of mind to think and process through something. Like when you need to give a reasonable answer to someone for why you are still in your pajamas all day. You need something logical to get you out of that. Fits together, makes sense. So the logos for the Greeks is this rational principle that orders everything into its purpose and form. It's behind the scenes directing the universe. And there would have been debates about how much reason governs our material world, gives things purpose, or orders the cosmos. And all of this was sparked by people observing the world around them that seemingly just fit together some way. Like the way the colors, shapes, and textures on a piece of art just seem to fit together. And so this idea of logos that gets translated as word was something that people were thinking about in order to understand the universe they found themselves a part of, including our gospel writer. And what's interesting here is that instead of just choosing to copy and paste this idea of the logos, the author makes something new by combining it with another ancient idea. The idea of divine wisdom found in the Jewish theological tradition. So we now here have another idea to dance with and wonder through. For according to the Jewish theology of divine wisdom, wisdom was considered to be with God from the onset of creation, created by God to be an agent for creating. It is through wisdom that God creates and brings the universe together. We find this theology explored mostly in the book of Proverbs in the first few chapters. And it helps inform the idea of logos being used here in this passage. In the Gospel of John, the logos takes on a similar role as wisdom, as it does in Proverbs. It is the intermediary agent that God, that through which God creates. But here, there is a monumental change. This Logos is not just with God before creation. Here, it is also God. In choreographing these two ideas, our gospel writer combines them in an attempt to make sense of how they understood Christ. It took a familiar Greek idea and name and combined it with a similar Jewish idea and function. And by doing so, they say something new. That this Logos and this gospel is fully divine and was with God before creation, but is not a created being itself. By reaching back and playing around with these ideas that are ancient, powerful, and have shaped their world, the writer of John uses them to reach their audience and tap into the shared knowledge of what they have, so they could begin to grasp who this logos of this gospel is. They wanted to communicate that the logos is more than just some rational ordering principle, more than wisdom, it's like these things, but it's just so much more. The Logos does have a hand in creation. It is behind the scenes. As the gospel says, all things are created through this Logos, giving some sort of order. But there is more. This Logos has an intimate and personal connection to God, being of and with God from the beginning. This Logos is God. 
So when we look upon this merger of Greek philosophy and Jewish theology, we see a fusion of similar and ancient ideas repurposed into something new in an attempt to communicate who this gospel writer sees in Christ. The repurposing of Logos is complex and truthfully frustratingly so. It, trust me, all theologians really have to work through this. It's, it's hard stuff to talk about God. Our language always fails to fully grasp God. There is, that's just the difficulty and awkwardness of theology. But it's also the site where we find ourselves stretched and excited, priming us to gather glimpses of God. When we let our desire to easily comprehend God go, we can start to steep inside the holy mystery of Christ. And I wanted to start with these complex ideas because this passage is going to do something shocking with this new idea of the Logos. Because this Logos does not stay distant or act merely as an intermediary. In truly shocking fashion, the gospel says the word became flesh. Now this Logos that is God and was before creation and through which everything has been created has entered into history with us in the human Jesus of Nazareth, assuming all of our created humanity fully and completely. But I think this shocking development in the text gets lost on us sitting here in the 21st century. For many of us in the Christian tradition, it's sort of an instinct to say that Jesus is God. We might have said it ourselves or heard someone else say it a million times. But friends, let me tell you this good news, it's not simple nor obvious. It's deeply mysterious and wonderful. The incarnation, the idea that this word became flesh, this idea that Jesus Christ is both simultaneously God and human is disruptive to how people would have understood God in the first century. But truly, I think it should be just as disruptive to how we understand God today. Most people, whether they realize it or not, think of God as a deity, either out of a desire to make sense of God comfortably or without intending to do so. They think of God as fully transcendent, above all of our lives, looking down on us. And this is how many people have thought throughout time, right? The gods and heavens, they're up there and we are all down here. But that's not what the Christian tradition professes. While we do see God as transcendent, not like or unlike anything we can comprehend, God is also imminent and present in our midst and our very being. And here in our text this evening, we see something more scandalous, that this fully transcendent and fully imminent God has also completely assumed our humanity and creatureliness. And this, this isn't like Zeus pretending to be a human or a human prophet with a special connection to God. No, this text is saying that the Logos, the Word, took on our humanity fully, became flesh. And this would have been a shocking claim to make because, like I said, people thought the divine was just separate from our world. They would have considered it an impossibility for divine nature and human nature to be alongside each other. They clash and can't mix because of their differences. 
How can something infinite and divine be alongside our finite nature, existing in the same thing? And honestly, that, that question should still challenge us today. That's complex. But the theology of this text asks to view this logos as above simple contrasts, as theologian Catherine Tanner says. It asks us to go beyond whether God is like or unlike things around us. It challenges us and ancient audiences to grapple with the paradox of the incarnation, that God has somehow become one with creation. The word becoming flesh should be shocking because it challenges the way we typically think of God, the ways people have thought of God for much of history and probably still the ways we think of God today. But it's astonishing and joyful to think about it. We have to set aside our expectations of how we think the universe works and instead grapple with the idea that God became like us by assuming all of our humanity. And when we reflect on what this means, we start to think about how does this change everything around us? How should it change everything we think about? And for me, if you can't tell already, this is what I find the most compelling about the Christian faith. It's exhilarating and mind-bending to work through the thought of the God of the universe becoming one with creation. It is paradoxical to consider how the incarnation happens, how Christ is the Logos becoming flesh. It's mysterious and holy. And in this text, we see the author lean into the idea of the incarnation being a mystery by claiming that in Jesus of Nazareth, we experience God ultimately and directly. I mean, come on, that is an amazing idea. I hope you're getting excited about this. It makes me just, it brings a smile to my face just sitting with it. It's just, it's unbelievable. But what do we do with this information? How do we use it? How does this idea shape our understanding of God? Well, you may have noticed in what I read in this prologue to John's gospel that there's no mention of Christ's birth. There is no birth narrative in this gospel. And this signals us to view the incarnation not just as a single event of a birth, but as the event of Christ's entire lifetime. Sometimes in Christian thought, there is a habit of reducing Christ to just his birth, death, and resurrection. And that's not to say that these are not important parts of Christian, the Christian story. They are but it's not a full picture of who Christ is. It doesn't take Christ on his own terms. A reductive view of Christ misses out on what the gospel spend the most time and space on, his life and ministry. Most of what the gospels are focused on are the sayings, teachings, ministries, and actions of Christ. And when we view Christ's life in the context of God being experienced ultimately and directly, we can, begin, we can begin to see that Christ and his life is revealing God and God's priorities directly to us. Take a second to ponder that. That Christ is revealing God to you, to us. And if that idea is familiar, I encourage you to push through that familiarity Wrestle with the implications of God communicating directly to us because something radical is being said here. 
that the God of the universe, beyond all comparisons and words, who is love, will take on our creatureliness and through the life of Christ, reveal to us who God is. Reveal what God's priorities are. Reveal how we ought to live. Reveal the power of radical love. The Gospels are a cascade of epiphanies. I think theologian Catherine Tanner explains this quite elegantly by saying Christ clarifies and specifies the nature, aim, and trustworthiness of all God's dealings with us. Because Christ is where these dealings with us come to ultimate fruition. She is saying that when we take seriously that Christ gives us the best and ultimate lens to understand God, then in the person of Christ, we see what God is like and what God is doing for creation most clearly. And this passage of John 1 comes to us at a wonderful time. Traditionally, in the Christian liturgical calendar for the next few weeks, it's called the season of epiphany. That's, this is when we're going to celebrate it, if we would. This is like the other church seasons that get celebrated, like Advent and Lent. And the emphasis of this season is to celebrate and meditate on the self-revelation of God through Christ. It is a whole chunk of the year dedicated to understanding who this person, Jesus the Christ, was in order for us to better, better understand who God is then and today. Many people are always searching for who God is and what God might be saying to them. And God is still revealing God's self to us today. We are learning and growing as a community always. This is why theology and biblical studies are never finished. There's still more to, to God than we can ever know. And this season of epiphany calls us to look back upon this shocking claim that the word became flesh, that the logos who was with God before creation and is God has now assumed humanity in the man, Jesus of Nazareth. This season moves us to look upon Christ's life to discover who God is, to challenge our preconceptions of God and to inform our faith and our world now. We do this by looking back at God, revealing God's self in Christ. And it is the life and ministry of Christ that God's self-revelation pours out. It gives context to the birth, death, and resurrection. It provides a fuller picture. The gospel writer said in the passage we read today that in Christ's fullness, we have received grace upon grace. To look upon the fullness of Christ is to look upon his entire life and see how God is revealing God's self and to understand how grace is pouring out upon us. By taking seriously the idea of the Logos, who is God, that became flesh in Christ and reveals to us who God is, we can begin to reorient ourselves towards where God is calling us now. But we have to look at Christ fully, not partially. So in this new year and in this season of epiphany, I hope we can be shocked by the incarnation, that it would disrupt our ideas of a distant God and remind us that in order to understand how God is calling and revealing God's self to us now, we must understand how God has revealed God's self in Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. We must meditate on the epiphany of Christ 
and receive in his fullness grace upon grace. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Holy God, I am just so thankful that we get to sit here and meditate on the ideas of the incarnation. I'm thankful for the things that it, it fills me up and gets me excited. And God, I'm just so thankful that you are revealing yourself to us now. Amen. Yo no.